There are several sources from Scripture comprising today's reading of God's Word. Genesis 1, verses 27 through 28. Genesis 9, verses 5 through 7. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. Psalm 139, verses 1 and verses 13 through 17. In your pew Bible, these passages can be found on pages 1, 6 through 7, 62, and 521 through 522. In the following Jesus Bible, pages 2, 10, 78, and 642. Genesis 1, verses 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 9, verses 5 through 7. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. For his fellow man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning, For the life of man, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm... The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as a woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Psalm 139 verses 1 and verses 13 through 17. Yahweh, you have searched me and known me, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious for me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ordinarily today, uh, we we normally let children first grade and under go out for children's worship. Parents, uh, you got my video earlier this week, so we may have more kids leaving today. So if you're going to children's worship, uh, feel free to head on over with Miss Brittany. It's like seeing the Exodus in visual form.
When somebody gets angry about something, it shows that they care. Something about that thing that has roused their passions strikes at something that is very uh, important to them. And in recent days, we've seen a lot of anger about abortion, about gender and sexuality, and about race. We've seen anger on both sides of these issues. So why do people get so angry about these particular things? What are they so passionate about? What's so important to them? Well, each of these issues is very personal. Each of these issues addresses questions about freedom, justice, and life. And here's my contention, that if we can engage with our neighbors in conversation about these issues, believing and unbelieving neighbors, if we can engage in civil, loving, truly thoughtful conversation, not just parroting a a, a news outlet or a think tank, but if we can engage with our neighbors with the mind and heart of Christ, what remarkable conversations we might have about freedom, justice, life, things that we really love and that we really believe in. These are important things. Perhaps we could even have a more important conversation about Christ. But before we jump in this morning, I'm talking about our, these are the topics we're going to be talking about over the last half of this sermon series. Today we're going to talk about abortion. But before I jump in on that topic, I want to address uh, a group of people who who are present here with us this morning. I want to talk to the ladies who are here who have had abortions in the past. And I want to begin by saying that it's my desire and the desire of our session that this be a safe place for you to process that experience and to know the forgiveness of Christ. The goal in my sermon this morning is by no means to rub your face and your past to unnecessarily pick old wounds. You're loved. And I'm glad you're here. We are glad you're here. In fact, your experience and your wisdom are no doubt a very important part of our conversation today. I had a thing here I was going to say for the kids, but all the kids went across the way, so I'll I'll skip that paragraph. So, uh, Carmen Broders is here with me this morning. She's going to come up in a few moments. She works with the North Lake Crisis Pregnancy Center. We're going to conclude our time today uh, with a question and answer session. If you find yourself... um, if you've, if you've experienced an abortion yourself or there's been an abortion in your family and you have lots of questions or concerns, Carmen is here as a resource for you. I'm here as a resource for you. My wife is, our elders are, and so uh, we want to do this together as a, as a family. So please uh, don't, don't suffer in silence, but uh, reach out to us. So let's, let's jump in on this topic. I forgot my first slide. It's okay. So what is the biblical teaching on abortion? Well, it all begins with the notion of humans being created in the image of God. Sorry, I jumped ahead. I got excited. Grab your Bible and turn me to Genesis chapter 1. We've lived in these two verses for four weeks now, and we're going to finally start applying it. It all begins with the image of God. So Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what's the first connection point between the image of God, which we've talked about for the last four weeks in this topic of abortion? Well, here's the first one. Human procreation, that is being fruitful and multiplying throughout the earth, human procreation leads to the spread of God's dominion and glory in the world. So every child exists as a little glory reflector of God in the world. And when children trust in Jesus, something that we really love around here, God restores his image in them even more. So what that means for a Christian is that childbirth, having children, is a big G good. The doctrine of the image of God means that we should be super pro-baby. But being pro-baby isn't where this biblical emphasis ends. We should be pro-life across the board. So let's jump to Genesis 9, which we've seen time and time again in our series thus far. After the flood, so sin has entered the world. Uh, God has wiped the slate clean, so to speak. And then he says this uh, to Noah in verse 5 of Genesis 9. For your lifeblood, for the life of a human, I will require reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Since humans are images of God, every human life should be protected. So if childbirth is a big G good, ending any life is a big B bad. Why? Because to injure a human is an attack on God himself, the one in whose image they are made. When a human life is destroyed, a reflector of God's glory is removed from the world. So God says, he who takes a life, from him his life will be required. But as the Bible continues, this life-for-life ethic is developed further in God's law. So turn now to Exodus 21. Exodus 21, beginning in verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay, Here we hear this again, life for life, but more, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So Exodus 21 gets a little more complex than that earlier life for life command. So if two men get in an old-fashioned brawl, and if as they're fighting, a pregnant woman gets hit so that she goes into early labor, if something happens to that woman or to that baby, the same thing happens to the guys who hit them. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, etc. Now, this kind of eye-for-an-eye ethic, if you listen to Gandhi and King and and others, uh, is usually considered barbaric. 
by our standards today. You know, no, nobody wants to be that country that chops off somebody's hand for stealing bread, right? But here's what people misunderstand about these commands. Whom does this command protect? It doesn't protect the strong. It doesn't protect the rich. It's written to protect the weak. Every time these eye-for-an-eye commands show up in the law of God or even outside the law of God, in the ancient Near East, you could have seen a, a quote about that in front of your worship guide, even outside the Bible, these commands are there to protect the poor, the immigrant, the woman, the child, and in Exodus 21, the preborn. So God reserves his harshest punishments for those who abuse and injure the weak and vulnerable. And that leads us to the next truth, that the lives that need protecting the most are the dependent, vulnerable, and easily discarded ones. They're the ones who need the protecting. So these Old Testament laws don't teach us that Yahweh God is barbaric. No, it tells us that he cares for the ones that the strong and the powerful often forget or abuse. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. So this shouldn't surprise us. God cares about women. We know that through Jesus. God cares about children. We see that in Jesus. God even cares about pre-born children who are the most dependent, the most vulnerable, and the most easily discarded humans on the planet. But you'll note an assumption I've already made. The assumption is that preborn children are, in fact, full humans. How can I make uh, that claim? Well, the Bible talks about prenatal life differently than we do in Western society. So this notion that a fetus or an embryo is at one time not a living being and then later a living being, it becomes a living being at some point, that is not something that we inherited from the Bible. We actually picked that up from Greek philosophy. So it's not grounded in the Bible. It's not even grounded in science. And honest scientists will tell you that. So how, what does the Bible say then? Well, here's what it doesn't say. So Scripture never describes a time before or after which a soul forms or enters a preborn child. Scripture also never describes a time before or after which life begins in the womb. It just doesn't talk that way. So the Bible is, is silent, which in my opinion makes these questions of, well, when does life begin in the womb? Or when does the soul enter uh, the child? I think those two questions are a fool's errand or worse for a Christian. If God wanted us to think about preborn children in these ways, I believe he would have taught us to think about preborn children in these ways. But that's not how he talks about them. Instead, regularly, Scripture talks about prenatal life not as potential life, but as human life. So Psalm 139, which we read earlier, Luke 1. So in Psalm 139, God talks about prenatal King David as a human being with a life ahead of him. All his days were already written in the book. One whom God is forming with great purpose. So also in Luke 1, John the Baptist is at six months gestation. Mind you, that would not have been viable in the first century if he had been born. John the Baptist at six months gestation is, is shown to be a responsive, relational human. 
Perhaps he's even filled with the Holy Spirit at that stage in his life. So according to the Bible, there's no line where life begins in the womb or where a soul comes to be or or enters the child. But what we do have is an absolute command to protect human life in its most vulnerable and dependent state. So the law of God then demands that we take the most cautious view, that human life is in view from conception onward and is worthy of dignity, honor, and protection as an image bearer. It doesn't say anywhere that life begins at conception, but when it talks so seriously about life in the womb and talks so seriously about human life, we then ethically have to take the most cautious view that that is where life begins. Okay, so that's me applying the idea of uh, the image of God to prenatal children. Uh, What does that mean about abortion then? Well, fetal life at all stages and for all reasons must be protected in a just society. I'm not going to get into the legal stuff. Um, There are lots of options that can be considered by godly Christians. But if we want a just society, these people need to be protected. Now, not every woman seeking an abortion is doing so for flippant or flimsy reasons. There are very real pressures on women, social, spiritual, economic, and even physical that would cause a woman to consider an abortion. So we need to be cautious as Christians, especially if we're having conversations with people, not to stereotype or overgeneralize when we're talking about this. Any woman who is considering an abortion is in a very difficult situation that she would prefer not to be in, and we should have sympathy for that. But the reasons that are ordinarily given uh, to justify abortion, they are addressed by this doctrine of the image of God as well. And one that's regularly given is the quality of the mother's life. You know, for some, it doesn't seem like a good time to have a child. It's not a good time for their schooling, for their career, for their economic situation, their future. I asked Carmen the other day, uh, you know, when women come to the Crisis Pregnancy Center, what's the thing that they need most regularly? You'll be astonished by her response. Housing. In St. Tammany Parish. A large percentage of these mothers in St. Tammany Parish are homeless. Either living couch to couch or living in their car some of them with a couple of kids already, and they understandably don't see that as a good life for their child, and they don't feel like it's wise for them to have a kid. So how does the doctrine of the image of God respond to women who feel that having a child at this time in their life is just a bad idea? Well, when you consider the doctrine of the image of God, what is a life well-lived? A life well-lived is a life of God-reflecting, that is not natural to humans' virtue. We saw this a few weeks ago. A life well-lived second looks like Jesus' life. It's a life of sacrifice for the good of others. That's the life well-lived. And a life well-lived for a woman may look like bearing children who reflect God's glory in dark places. That's how the doctrine of the image of God responds to this circumstance. A life well-lived is not necessarily a successful career. A life well-lived doesn't always happen in ideal circumstances. So what this woman may think is a diminishment in her quality of life 
might actually be the opposite. Maybe true quality of life, maybe a life well-lived looks like suffering to care for this little image bearer, or at the very least, giving birth to this reflector of God's image in the world and then giving him or her up for adoption to a home who desperately wants a child. Now, why do I bring all this up? Well, it's not to shame a woman with an untimely pregnancy, but to open your eyes, Christian, to this reality. If a woman doesn't trust Christ and she doesn't live by the Scriptures, why would she ever embrace this ethic? (laughs) Why would any woman take on great sacrifice unless she had known the great sacrifice of Christ? In fact, we say that this kind of virtue is not natural to humans. This is something that the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. We can't live this way without the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not natural to people. So know yourself, Christian. How often have you chosen the path more natural to the flesh? How often have we chosen not the path of self-sacrificing virtue, but a fleshly path of self-focus and self-desire? It's that same impulse in me and that same impulse in you that leads a woman to have an abortion for quality of life. That same sinful impulse resides in each and every one of us. So what's the solution to this then? It's hard. The solution in my reading of Scripture, the solution for abortion in this circumstance, as in all others, is not a legal solution. The most important and primary solution for this woman is the gospel and a supportive, spirit-filled community to walk with her. We'd like to think the Supreme Court decision suddenly ends all abortions, but that's not the case in New York or California or Louisiana. Abortions will not end until every human, man, woman, boy, and girl, until every human knows Christ and has a church that loves them and will walk with them in this difficult journey. Now, granted, the law of God has some clear laws about how to deal with, uh, with lives that are, are uh, extinguished. And so we can talk about the legal side of this. But when you want to talk about a specific woman in a difficult situation, what she needs is Jesus. And she needs a church that will walk with her in that. So, that's the first reason often given for an abortion. The second reason often given is fetal abnormality. Well, if this child is going to come into this world and have great difficulty, that's not the kind of life we would want for him or her. But again, that's making wild assumptions about what a quality of life should be for a child or for anyone. So human life is always depicted in the Bible as dependent upon God, dependent upon other people, and dependent upon the created order. And that means that any sense of autonomy, power, or control is false. (laughs) It's unreal. Even in the garden before sin, Adam and Eve needed God. To provide for them. They needed each other. Poor Adam, before sin, I need somebody. He needed his wife to rely upon. And they needed the food, the garden, the the land that God had provided them. We are not so viable on our own. We are by nature dependent. Sidebar. Some of you are getting older. And I'm watching 
this sense that your dignity and your humanity are being pulled away from you because you have to depend upon others. Your dignity and worth are 110% intact because you were made in the image of God. And we are made to depend upon others. You see, the, the image of God, this doctrine, gets every aspect of our lives. But when you look at a child and you think, oh, they're going to have to depend upon us, or they're going to have to depend upon this or that, people begin to think they, they are less than because they are not going to be these autonomous, independent beings. It makes them needy of our protection and help. Brothers and sisters, these are the ones that most need our protection and help, inside and outside the womb. This is where those mothers and children need a Christian community to love them and support them. It's not easy to have any old kid, let alone one who's severely disabled. We can't do this alone in any environment. These mothers, these children need the body of Christ to walk with them in this difficult life that we all live. The third reason often given for abortions is uh, undesired pregnancy due to assault. So in this scenario, there are two victims, both mother and child. And the child shouldn't be punished further for the crimes of a depraved father. This is a circumstance where the church must be immensely merciful. Jesus didn't break a bruised reed. And this mother needs love and support. It is likely that in this situation it will ordinarily be best handled as an adoption. But again, there are so many needs in these circumstances for justice, for healing, for comfort uh, that the gospel and the gospel's community can provide. The fourth reason often given to justify abortion is danger to the mother's health. Legitimate cases wherein the mother's life are threatened are difficult to discern difficult to endure, and are not abortions. It's hard to discern, certainly hard to endure, and they are not abortions. And if you wonder, you can see all the scribbles on this page as I've rewritten this about 18 times. First, it can be difficult to discern. Pregnancy is always dangerous (laughs) to the mother, uh, even in the 21st century. And so at this juncture, we're talking about degrees of risk. And when you hear that a pregnancy could threaten a mother's life, well, that's definitely a moment of panic. But the details may not always be super clear at first. So there are dangerous but treatable issues where mom and baby will both be just fine if they get proper treatment from a doctor. So in cases of preeclampsia, diabetes, potential blood clots. With ectopic pregnancies, we're moving into a different realm where it becomes very difficult Uh, to discern, and I've talked to some doctors about this. I've done a lot of reading. I learned a lot over the last month as I've worked on this. So apparently there are several different kinds of ectopic pregnancies. So if it's in the fallopian tube, that child cannot come to full term. Likewise, there's a 16% chance that the fallopian tube can rupture and the mother can die. This happened with Steve and Leslie Roberts. She woke up one night in immense pain, didn't know what was going on. Steve took her to the hospital. 
If she'd gone an hour later, she would have died. This is a real issue that strikes us in our body. And so we can't act flippantly when people are going through these kinds of real circumstances. If an ectopic pregnancy happens in the abdomen, it actually can come to full term. It takes significant treatment. There's another kind of ectopic pregnancy called interstitial. It requires an MRI to find out whether or not the child can come to full term. Women, if if you ever find yourself in this situation, I encourage you, talk to your doctors. Talk to the doctors in our church. Get a second opinion. Come talk to your pastor. We want to walk with you in that. The grief of these kinds of scenarios is very real. And the Louisiana Department of Health estimates that 67% of pregnancy-related deaths could have been prevented. And the most commonly identified factors have to do with just going to your doctor and getting your regular care. Here's my point. Pregnancies that actually threaten the life of a mother are very rare. Ectopic pregnancies happen roughly 1% to 2% of pregnancies. And some doctors can be overly cautious, but my perception is that they've got their eyes on the big dangers and it can be hard to discern. It's hard to discern, but it's also terribly hard to endure. Often these women and their families want to have a child, and so to hear a doctor recommend termination is terribly frightening, terribly discouraging. And what do these women need? They need someone to be honest with someone to cry with, someone who will love her and listen to her, who will give her wise counsel. She needs a gracious family, a gracious church to walk with her. So in the end, legitimate cases like a a, a tubal pregnancy, these are not truly abortions. They may get called on a medical chart an abortion, but you're not ending the life of a child that will come to full term, you're protecting the life of an image bearer who's in a very vulnerable state, the mother. And so these mothers and their families need our sympathy, our tears, and our loves. I want to pray for you, Steve, and for Leslie. Thank you for being willing to, to let me share y'all's story um, this morning. Father, I'm grateful for the courage of Leslie to come to me a few weeks ago and to share her story. And it grieves me, Lord, that it took a Supreme Court hearing for her to have that courage. But, Lord, that's where she was, and I'm happy that she did share her story with me. Lord, there are other women in this room who likely have similar stories. Lord, I pray for your, your comfort on Steve and Leslie. I thank you for the passion in their hearts, for life, for their children. Lord, we don't know why these grievous things happen, except that we live in a broken world. But we pray for your comfort and your strength. We pray for your fruitfulness and blessing on their home, on their little ones, Grace and Rhett. And Lord, I know they look forward to the day when they see 
their little one again with you in heaven. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So that, brothers and sisters, is um, what I believe is the biblical teaching on abortion. I've asked Carmen Broders, uh, who's the center director of the North Lake Crisis Pregnancy Center, to come have a brief conversation with me about her own experience and what wisdom she can share with us. So, Carmen, if you will come, now you all know why the table and everything's moved. Come on up. Got a microphone for you there. That's right, that's right. So I want to look at two different things. Um, First is how we can talk to other people, because that's kind of my opening contention, that if we can have a a, a civil conversation about abortion with our neighbors, everybody's talking about it, that this can actually be a, a very meaningful, fruitful dialogue. So, but let's start really at the heart of the matter. So what should we say to a loved one who might be considering uh, an abortion. You have to put it right up on your mouth. Those things are, are tricky. Well, I would say a woman considering abortion, she believes, obviously, that there's no other way to handle her circumstance. She comes in, and she's absolutely terrified. There may be uh, absolute chaos and dysfunction all around her. Um, she's just the pressure of, of maybe family. We've had teens that have come in and said, I know that if I go home and tell my parents, they're going to kill me and kick me out. I mean, there's real fears about that. So I would say realize that she is extremely vulnerable and in a place that she needs support and she needs someone to listen to and someone that's going to love her and walk through that with her. Listen to her concerns and motives. Again, I mean, she's having an abortion or thinking about abortion because she's petrified, and she doesn't see any other way. Remember in your conversation, it's not the time for a powerful debate or to just be right. As the body of Christ, it's our responsibility to offer her the love of Christ and not to bring shame and judgment on her. I'll, I'll jump in um, mm-hmm. real quick. So, you know, Carmen, you yourself have had an abortion. Yes, I have. So um, tell me a little bit about that in terms of you experienced a lot of that shame when, when your pregnancy occurred, and, and that was actually a part of why you ended up getting an abortion. Right. Well, I was involved in the church. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. My dad was a deacon. We were in a church that was not a safe church. It wasn't really, I would consider, a healthy church. I had two friends that were uh, about a year, maybe a year and a half older than myself. So they had gotten pregnant. And I witnessed the church being very unloving and just very cruel and and mean. And I did not want to put my parents through that. Like I said, my mom was a Sunday school teacher. My dad was a deacon. And that shame was just... I saw what they did, how they handled it. And so, and even from a child, I remember my grandmother and my mother always saying, if you ever got pregnant, you would break your dad's heart. And what little girl wants to break her dad's heart? So 
I really, I believe, you know, we take for granted that, um, and we really don't even think about the verse that says, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I really do believe you're groomed in some way for that. Mm. Um, Groomed as a child to believe those lies, you know, that the church wasn't going to be supportive, my parents were going to be very disappointed in me, they may kick me out. So I I chose abortion. Um, It was a very difficult time. Uh, It's something that you regret, you never walk away from. One of the reasons I say I was groomed when I was 12, my purity and innocence was taken away from me. And it was taken from my girlfriend's dad and older brother, and I was told to be quiet about it because if I told someone, no one would ever believe we were family friends. And so the secret begins. You're told not to uh, speak of it. I was groomed that way. I started to believe things like I'm not worthy, uh, no one will ever want me, God doesn't love me. Um, If he loved me, he would have been there to help me. I mean, just all kinds of things. And so you really start to believe those lies. And so to carry out the belief of of another lie, it's not that difficult. That's where, you know, that whole idea of Jesus wasn't even willing to to break a bruised reed. For us as Christians who live by the scriptures, Mm -hmm. we treat the scriptures very seriously on sexual ethics and purity before marriage and that sort of thing. But at the same time, uh, Christ was the one who was very gentle with people who were broken by sin. Who, And so that's why at faith, we, we want to create a space where if ever, especially talk to your kids about this. I know they're, they're over there because of the content today. But if your kids were ever in a situation like this, I hope this would be a place where they feel safe talking to me or to my wife or to some of the ladies of the church, some of the men of the church, um, because this is a, sp- a space for healing. Uh, and for for restoration, so you have someone who is considering an abortion. You speak with love, with gentleness, with mm-hmm. caution, telling them there are other options than than the one they're considering. What about though my next door neighbor, who is just a vociferous proponent of uh, pro-choice or reproductive rights? They got the flag on their the front of their house. Having a conversation with a woman who's considering an abortion, that's one thing. Do I really need to talk to them about abortion? Is that a a wise engagement to have? Well, I think you have to consider the power of the Holy Spirit. And I also think you have to believe that in speaking up for the little ones, the tiny ones, the vulnerable ones, that it will be worth it. It's not going to come from a heated debate or your wise wisdom. It will come in gently loving them and respecting them. We find that a lot of people in the uh, pro-choice arena, they've had abortion in their past. And so to to address that, um, it means pain for them. So that's a hard thing for them to do. And so to keep in mind that you may be speaking with someone that has had abortion in the past, compassion is 
is number one, and and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their life. Well, here's where the, the, I think the doctrine of the image of God meets both of these people. This woman with an unwanted pregnancy and this person who's a, a big proponent of, of uh, reproductive rights, both of them are made in the image of God and are worthy of our love, uh, are, are, are filled with dignity because of their created purpose. So I tested this, by the way. I knew I was going to be saying this, so I, I chose one of my friends who's super pro-choice, and I had a great conversation with her. I just said, tell me what, when you think life begins, and why, how, do you, how do you, I mean, you know I'm an evangelical pastor, so like, tell me, tell me how that works. So she shared her view, and she said, well, what's your view? I said, well, thanks for asking. I said, it's going to be totally different, because I start with, I believe the Bible's true, and that Jesus came back from the dead, and everything flows from that. Ultimately, I want to talk to people about Jesus, right? And so the conversation can be had. If you remember, who is this person and whose image are they made and how can we get this conversation to Jesus? Second, I want to think about women who are here uh, who have had uh, abortions in the past. So what would your encouragement be to a woman here who has had an abortion and perhaps has never told anybody uh, but carried that with her? Well, first off, I'd say you're not alone. Statistics say that one out of four women will have had an abortion by age 45. And I can tell you from experience that secrets hold much pain and they cause much destruction. And finding a safe church, finding a safe person that you can share your experience with, your past, is paramount. I mean, that's the way a woman heals. And so... um, just encouraging her to ask the Lord to give her the courage to speak it. I know when I went to the crisis center, it was 16 years ago, kind of funny, because I thought that I was going to the crisis center because I had some time on my hands and I could help them out. But the truth of the matter was God knew in his love that I was the one who needed the help and I was the one who needed the healing And after 32 years of silence and pain and agony, I spoke that I'd had an abortion to our executive director, Rachel Adair, and my healing began. And I I would just say it is absolute torment to keep that secret. I know that. And we need to be safe people as followers of Christ in a safe church. Now, the Pregnancy Center offers some classes for women who've had abortions, yes? We do. We have a, uh, it can be a 10-week or a 12-week Bible study. It's called Forgiven and Set Free. It actually walks uh, a woman through that process of healing so that she can actually take that pile of ashes and all those memories, tie everything together. Because for me, in my past, I had a lot of anger. I had depression. Um... Things led to physical illnesses. So it takes all of that garbage, and you walk through that in that Bible study to understand why some of your past is the way it is, and then to turn it into beauty. Um, I've had the privilege now. I mean, God's just amazing in his grace. So I've had the privilege as a post-abortive woman to take and lead, well, actually walk alongside, lead that group. Uh, many, many times in the center. And it's always amazing to see the transformation of a broken woman Mm. to find 
healing and health and not to have to live with that shame and guilt any longer. That's really why we call it forgiven and set free. That's exactly what it is. Providentially, we do have this cake time today, so if, if, if you would like to talk to myself or to Carmen in private, we'll both be here. Uh, you can learn more about uh, that class. Um, two more questions for you, and we'll, we'll wrap okay. up. You, you sweating? You sweating? I'm sweating. Yeah. <laughs> so what would your encouragement be to a woman here whose pregnancy was terminated due to concerns for her health, if she's concerned or confused about whether what she did was wrong? I'd pretty much give the same advice, I think, and that would be to seek out someone safe, talk to a pastor, maybe even talk to a doctor or two, get some opinion, and more than anything else, take it to the Lord. I mean, there's, like you had uh, explained, there's so many different um, problems in pregnancy. I've heard doctors say that diabetes, you need to have an abortion because you have diabetes. I mean, a lot of that is manageable. So the concerns can be many, but having, um, having an abortion for a woman who has a life-threatening ill, well, pregnancy, it's not abortion, but she needs the same healing. She needs to be set free from that. I know we deal with a lot of women with miscarriage, and the enemy is so great at coming to us and lying, saying, I had a miscarriage because of something that I did. I was responsible. I made the wrong, I made the wrong choice. I mean, the enemy loves to come and steal, kill, and destroy, and we really don't think about that too much. We think about the circumstances. We're in the weeds there. But we don't think that we have an enemy. And one of the things that I thought about the other day when our second time we spoke, you know, God chose to bring salvation into this world through the womb of a woman, a very safe and sacred place. He could have brought salvation any way that he wanted to. He's God, but he chose the woman. So why would Satan not have that assault on a woman and the safety and the sanctity of a womb. And it's, a, it's so sad to think nowadays that that place for an unborn child is probably one of the most unsafe places a child could ever have because of society and the lies that have been told. It's our body, it's our choice, all, all different types of, of lies. Um, and again, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, well, here's your last question. It's okay. a softball. So, okay. um, so how can we serve? So we, you know, I, we called you when the when the Supreme Court opinion leaked and said, "Do you guys anticipate your workload's going to go up?" And you said, "Yes." So, how can we help? Okay. First off, I would say prayer because we really don't know what that's going to look like. We're, we will probably need a lot more items, a lot more support, a lot more donations. Um, so that's one way. Also, like you had mentioned before, praying for housing. I mean, a lot of the women choose abortion because they have no place to go. If they have, uh, if they're pregnant and they have one or two children, they have no place to go because a lot of the maternity homes won't take moms if they do have children. So what's she supposed to do with the child? I mean, it's just craziness. Or she'll be living from couch to couch or family member to family member, a lot of times that's not okay if she has smaller kids because, like myself, that's where I was molested in a home with people that 
I trusted. And so it's, those are not good situations. So homes, financial support, prayer. Um, I always mention our nurse because in an ultrasound, we do ultrasound obviously for bonding purposes. And the mother, we want obviously the mother to bond with the child, but the nurse always bonds with the child too when she sees the baby on the ultrasound. So she gets very involved and she grieves that loss um, if that mother does choose uh, termination. So just lots of things like that. Going to need lots of diapers and lots of wipes and lots of clothes, lots of formula and baby food. So anything a baby needs, we're going to need it. Well, Carmen, thank you so much for your willingness to come today. I know it took a lot of courage to share your story with all of us this morning. And uh, I want to pray for you and pray for Rachel and all the folks over at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. One of Center the things right before, this was mm-hmm. such a heavy, heavy conversation. I have a <laughs> yeah. little story to tell. And it's about a little girl who goes to her mom. And this is really, you've been talking about the image of God all this time. And I'm so thankful I'm, I'm made in the image of God. And a little girl goes to her mom and she says, Mommy, where did we come from? And the mom looks at her and says, well, honey, that's so easy. God created us, and he created a man named Adam, and he created a woman named Eve, and they had babies, and then they grew up, and they had babies, and so here we are. We were created by God. She loved that answer. So she went off, and a few days later, she went to her dad, and she asked her dad, Dad, where did babies come from? And he said, well, honey, that's easy. We, we came from apes. So now she's really confused, and she goes back to her mom, and she says, Mom, you told me that we were created by God, and Dad told me we were created by apes. So what was it? She said, oh, honey, that's so easy to explain. I told you about my side of the family, and your dad told you about his side of the family. So I'm made in the image of God. I don't know about you, but I'm made in the image of God, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I did tell her it was fine to tell that joke, because there will come a point at which we're going to need a joke on Sunday morning. I got permission. (laughs) Let's pray together. Oh, God, thank you that we are made in the image of God, that in every human being there is this imprint of your dominion and glory. And though we are broken by sin, distorting that image, it is still there, giving every human being dignity and worth from conception to death. And so, Lord, we want to pray for the North Lake Crisis Pregnancy Center, and we pray especially for Carmen, for Rachel, and for their nurse, that, Holy Spirit, you would fill them, give them strength to endure this week that's ahead of them, and help them, Lord, to know the things to say to these women who are looking for help so that they can receive the help that they need, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that through this uh, center, Many lives will be saved, not just for this life, but for the next. And I pray, Lord, that even now you would call some of those from among our own congregation who would not just be advocates for life with their words, but with their deeds through the North Lake Crisis Pregnancy Center and perhaps even beyond. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In the name of Christ, amen.